Hey folks, what's up? Crispin here with the North Shore Vineyard Church Audio Podcast. So uh, on today's podcast, we're looking at Matthew chapter 7. We started looking at this a few weeks ago and we're continuing it. Uh, Jesus opens the passage by telling us not to judge, but then he also tells us a type of judgment which is actually good to implement in your life. And if you will implement it in your life, it may very well save you from lots of unnecessary hardship, particularly when it comes to leaders. Um, This message is entitled, You Will Know Them By Their Fruit. Let's head to North Shore Vineyard. Thanks for listening. Starting back in August, I did a series of messages on prayer and the spirituality of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount, which you can find in Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 7. And a few weeks ago, we moved from Matthew chapter 6 to Matthew chapter 7. And that's where we're going to be today. And I want to do just a quick recap because that was about three weeks ago and we've had a lot of stuff happening in the church in those few weeks. So just to give us a little bit of the context, because in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus tells us not to judge and then how to judge. And so first we're going to deal with the don't judge part. Jesus opens up Matthew chapter 7. He says, don't judge lest you be judged. For the same measure you use to judge others will be measured towards you. Before you accuse me, take a look at yourself. You ever had that happen? You, you point out something to somebody else, and they're like, well, you do that all the time. Well, we're not talking about me. <laughs> Jesus goes on to say, and why is it that you're worried about the speck in your neighbor's eye when you got a plank sticking out of your own eye? Why don't you take care of the plank in your own eye first, and then you can see clearly to help your neighbor with the speck in their eye? This is, I I believe, one of the most important and least talked about passages, uh, uh, teachings of Jesus ever. And, and, And I imagine that if the church in the West had actually taken this, this part of Jesus's teaching seriously, we would have ended up with a much different church in the United States. You know, unfortunately, the church in popular conception is known for being bigoted, homophobic, grasping for power, attaching itself to politics. That's the popular conception of the church. And I'm not saying that all churches are like that. I don't think North Shore Vineyard is, but that's the popular conception. What would it be like if church was actually a place where you went because you were broken? Because you knew your life was a mess. You know, the sad thing is, and and in our modern world, people tend to treat church just like it's a consumable good or, or service, you know? Everybody got a favorite restaurant? You know, I got my favorite restaurants. I go over to the Abita Brew Pub. It's right down from the house. I usually go there a couple times a month. Probably going to go watch a little bit of the Saints game after church over there. 
if I don't preach too long, if I don't preach through the first half. <laughs> Tell you what, we'll pass around the offering again and we'll see. No. <clears throat> Lock the door, Shane. Um, but, you know, we've all got like our favorite places to eat. And you may have a restaurant in your area that you've been going to for years, and you got a dish there that you get every time. You get it so much that when you walk in the door, they, they don't even have to give you a menu. They just, they know what you want. And say you've been going to that restaurant for years, and then all of a sudden, there's a change in the chef. They, they got a different chef back there in the kitchen. They decided to tweak some things on the menu. We don't like change much, you know, usually, especially when it's restaurants. And... Or say they got a new manager or new owner or they remodel the place and it doesn't feel the same way. It, it's, you know, you're going to give that place a try. You'll give it maybe two or three chances because you don't want to write it off. You've got a relationship. But if after about two or three times it's not delivering the product that you want to consume, you're going to break up. You're going to break up with a restaurant. We've all had to do that before. It's a sad thing. It's a sad thing when you've got to break up with a restaurant. Man, they had this little... This little Thai place down Columbia Street, man, I used to go there once a week, and it closed down. And the new owners, it's, it's all right, but it ain't the same. I had to break up. I had to break up with it. I haven't eaten any Thai food since. But unfortunately, while that's perfectly acceptable with a restaurant, we, te- we treat church that way. We treat church as if it is just a consumable good and service, when really, that's not what Jesus meant by church at all. Church is a community of people who are indwelt by the Spirit, who are helping one another experience transformation in their lives. And if you treat church like a product, you're, you know, you're just going to, whenever something doesn't meet your expectation, well, I'm going to take my ball and go home, or I'll just go down the street. There are plenty of churches on the North Shore. But what would it be if we didn't treat church as a product, a consumable good? What if we treated it as a place that you go precisely because you are broken, precisely because you don't have it together, and you want to be around other people who've admitted that in their lives and who are trying to make sense of the brokenness within and get better and help each other out? You know, if you've been coming around here very long, you've probably heard heard me quote the 12 steps before. The 12 steps were actually created by Christians, by the way. But I think they, were, they had to be created because the church didn't take this stuff of Jesus seriously. If the church would have been taking this stuff seriously, you wouldn't need some outside organization to come up with this. But recovery movements around the world use the 12 steps. And when you show up at AA or celebrate recovery, you're not showing up to critique things. You're not showing up to go, ah, you know, I, I, I hope this meets my expectations. No, you're showing up. And walking in the door, you're, you're saying, just by walking in the door, I'm broken. I'm messed up. I'm poor in spirit. Which, by the way, that's what Jesus says in the first of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, that's where you start. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the people who finally concluded they don't have it all together. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. People who think they got it all together, they ain't going to realize it. 
I love the 12 steps, the first three steps. First step is we came to realize that our lives were out of control, unmanageable. They're a mess. We can't, step two, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Step three, we submitted our lives and our will over to the care of God as we understood God. Those are just the three first steps. But if you continue on the 12 steps, you're going to start dealing with your resentments. You're going to deal with your brokenness, the way that you've hurt other people. You're going to identify that. And, and what's all that do? It's eye surgery. That's the way you get that plank out of your eye. And I get why we don't want to talk about this, this little passage that Jesus brings up because it's a, lot, it's a lot easier to point our finger at other groups of people, blame everything on the gays or the Muslims or immigrants or, or white male patriarchy. You know, pick your group. We scapegoat other groups of people because then we don't have to deal with our own stuff. We can blame them for everything. Jesus says, no, it doesn't start there. Now, it's not that your neighbor doesn't have some issues, but you can't help your neighbor. Imagine how, how comical it would look. Somebody's coming to help you with the speck in your eye, and they keep hitting you in the head with a two-by-four that's sticking out of their head. <laughs> it's not that Jesus doesn't want you to help with your neighbor, but as long as you got this big plank sticking out of your eye, you, you're doing no, no, no good for anyone. Jesus says, get that log out your eye first. And look, getting that log out your eye, it, it may take a while. and probably going to take a few years at least. But that's where we start. And when you get that log out your eye, guess what? You can see now. You can see. You can actually see to help your neighbor. But now you're not going to be so quick to offer pat answers. You're not going to be so quick to, to jump into fix-it mode because now you've realized just how hard it is to deal with the plank in your own eye. You've got some humility because you've suffered. You've pressed through. Jesus says, start there. Instead of judging, instead of pointing your finger at other people, start with yourself. Start with the plank in your own eye. My hope is that the church in America would get free from consumerism. I'm, I'm hoping. I don't know what it's going to take to get us there, but I would love for the church in America to be a place where you come because you're broken, a place where people aren't coming to gather around ideologies and point their finger and blame other people, but where we're showing up to deal with stuff in our own lives. So that's how Jesus tells us, number one, don't judge. But then Jesus tells us the kind of judgment that is okay to engage in. But even the way that Jesus delivers this, I would say, start where Jesus started. Start with yourself first. Do that for a bit. And then you can move on to the next part. Matthew chapter 7. I'm reading from the message today. <coughs> This is uh, starting in chapter thir uh, verse 13. Jesus speaking here, he says, Don't look for shortcuts to God. The market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. Don't fall for that stuff. Even though crowds of people do, the way to life, to God, is vigorous and requires total attention. Be wary of false preachers who smile a lot. Dripping with practice sincerity. Chances are they are out to rip you off in some way or another. 
Don't be impressed with charisma. Look for character. Who preachers are is the main thing, not what they say. A genuine leader will never exploit your emotions or your pocketbook. These diseased trees with their bad apples are going to be chopped down and burned. Knowing the correct password, saying, Master, Master, for instance, isn't going to get you anywhere with me. What is required is serious obedience, doing what my Father wills. I can see it now. At the final judgment, thousands strutting up to me saying, Master, we preached the message. We bashed the demons. Our God-sponsored projects had everyone talking. And do you know what I'm going to say? You missed the boat. All you did was use me to make yourselves important. You don't impress me one bit. You're out of here. These words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational words, words to build a life on. If you work these words into your life, you are a smart comp- carpenter who built his house on solid rock. Rain poured down, the river flooded, a tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed to the rock. But if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you are like a stupid carpenter who built his house on a sandy beach. When a storm rolled in and the waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. Woe now. Woe now. <laughs> what kind of judgment is okay? Judging by the fruit. Jesus says there's going to be a lot of false preachers and false teachers out there. Judge them by their fruit. Don't listen to what they say. Don't look at their giftings. But we're so enamored with giftings, right? I swear, folks in America these days are so easily manipulated. We're so easily manipulated by politicians and preachers. We are so easily manipulated by people who don't care about us at all. I know none of y'all are. But I've seen stories. We're manipulated by Facebook, by the Republicans, by the Democrats, by TV preachers who don't really care about anything except more money and more power. And they will tell us anything that tickles our fancy and confirms our own biases so that they can get us to support them. If you want to know what someone believes, if you want to know what someone truly values, don't ask them. Look at their life. Look at their life. It will save you a lot of trouble. You know, I shared a story a few weeks ago. Dana and I were part of this really uh, exciting church when we first got married. That's the church we met in, and it was, it was, man, on the weekends, man, the pastor was this charismatic leader, and he could preach it down like no other. He could lead worship, and, and it was great. It was exciting. We were all praying for this citywide revival to come, and we just imagined that our church would be the epicenter because we were the ones that were truly faithful to uh, what God wanted. And so finally, this, this revival ends up showing up, and things got crazy. 
I mean, like, like way crazy. And that's a whole other message. And I was up for crazy. I read the Bible. There's a lot of crazy stuff in the Bible. Like, crazy, like I was open-minded. I, I'm not a person that was freaked out by crazy. But the problem was in the leadership for all the giftings that were there, there was manipulation, control, spiritual abuse, insecurity. And I was standing outside the church with Dina one night and I looked at her and I said something. I didn't really realize how profound it was at the time. It wasn't coming from a place of, of angst or anything. It was just a simple observation. I said, Dina, I don't feel the love of God in this. And that's a big red flag. And over the next couple of months, we moved out of that church. Thankfully, I had some pastor friends that were not into that thing. I, I knew some healthy ways of doing church, you know. And we, we, we worked our way out of that place. But what were we stumbling onto? Exactly what Jesus is saying here. Judge them by their fruit. Judge them by their fruit. And I know Jesus is talking about preachers or, or people in ministry here, you know, teachers, I think you can apply it to anybody that you are going to connect your life with. And, you know, if you're going to go into a business venture with someone, I don't care how gifted someone is. I don't care how successful they've been. Look at the fruit. Don't look at their money. Don't look at their gifts. Look at their character. When you get around them, does it make you a more loving person? Do you feel more encouraged? Or do you feel like it's a black hole? You get around some people that are just like a black hole. They just suck the life out of you. There's just something in them. Or they're trying to control you. And as a musician, in all these years in church, I've, I've had some experiences with church. Every church wants to have good music, you know? Churches love what musicians bring to the table, but most churches don't really love musicians. They love them for their gifts. And I love musicians too. Big fan. I love myself. <laughs> but so often I've seen how musicians are objectified. They are only valued for the gift that they can bring to a Sunday morning to further the uh, agenda of the pastor of that church. And when we, when we have new people come onto the worship team, I, I got to tell you, I don't know a musician that goes to church here who wouldn't play every Sunday. I mean, musicians love to play music, and this is a fun church to play music at. But I tell every musician when, when, when they get to join the worship team, I say, you're going to play about once a month on average, you know, because we don't want you to get burned out. Being in ministry for 20-something years, I've seen how a lot of times the church will take somebody who's eager and gifted and will objectify them, will value them just for what they bring to the table and not care for them as a person. And I tell the musicians here, I say, you know, you're going to play once a month. Don't worry. There's going to come a time where it doesn't matter if we've got six drummers, there's going to come a time where they're all out for a month and you'll get to play four Sundays in a row. But that's going to be the exception, not the rule. Because we care for you as a person. And I've actually had to tell members of our worship team at different points over the last decade, I've had to tell people, you need to step down for a little bit. Man, your, your, your life is crazy. Go be with your wife and kids. 
Take care of one another. Get your, get your heart, your soul right. Get refreshed. Get rested. I can tell when you're showing up on a Sunday morning, like you're, you're just not here because you're worn out. Take care of things. See, so often I think what we see is that so many Christian leaders aren't really trying to build the kingdom of God. They're trying to make their own empire. They're just trying to make their own empire. It's all about their own, their own wealth. I couldn't believe. I saw this clip of a very well-known evangelist a few months ago. And, you know, he's got, I think he's got three jets. They're like, why do you need to fly in a private jet? Well, I can't be with the demon-possessed people in, in the cabin, you know, in, in coach. But I swear, as they began to confront him, it looked like this dude had a demon. I mean, his face got all contorted and got all freaked out. Like, really? It seems like Jesus didn't have a problem hanging out with demon-possessed people. Demon, Jesus didn't have a problem hanging out with sinners. Actually, Jesus walked a lot, too. <laughs> Jesus says, judge by the fruit. If you're going to link up your life with anybody, if you're going to follow anybody, look at the fruit first before you attach your life to that person. Look at the fruit. And what about this fruit? I want to read what uh, the Apostle Paul writes about fruit, and it's in your... Uh... Oh, before that, I want to say this one last thing. You've probably heard this analogy before. Uh, it's true. If you're trained to work for the government to spot counterfeit money, they don't train you by showing you all the thousands of different ways that money can be counterfeited. I mean, that, that would be endless. They get you to become acclimated with the real thing. You focus, you get that $100 bill, and you start studying it. You study every little detail, the fiber that it's made with, the feel of it, the smell of it. And as you immerse yourself in studying the real thing, then it's going to be obvious when you come across a counterfeit. I, I know as a young Christian, I used to listen to AM radio because there was always preaching on it. And there's some crazy preaching on AM radio. That's a crazy way to get your theology. <clears throat> um, but I remember there, there used to be this guy who was like a heresy hunter. You know, he was just, he would spend his whole, whole podcast. Actually, there were several. There were several radio preachers that would spend their whole program pointing out all the problems with this group and that group and this guy, group's interpretation. And I noticed when I got into that stuff, it's like, man, there's a devil behind every bush. You know, like you just, you just get parallel. No, no, Jesus is saying, you, you don't have to, you don't have to study evil to be able to recognize it. You don't have to study false teachers to recognize a false teacher. You immerse yourself in relationship with the good. Why do we worship here on Sunday mornings? Why do we take 30 minutes out of this service to sing songs together? Because that's formative in our lives. We are relating to God as a people we're not just singing songs. We are opening up our hearts, our attention, expanding our consciousness to engage God together. And that's important. Because as we awaken to the love of God 
Did you feel the love of God here this morning? I did. As you, as you learn what the love of God feels like, as you learn to be open to the Spirit of God, it's going to be obvious when you come across somebody that's not God. Someone that's just trying to manipulate you. Take your money. We don't need to spend time focusing on the bad to figure out what's bad. We need to spend a life learning how to surrender and trust our lives to God and open up our consciousness so that we can be aware of God in all of life. Now back to fruit for a second. The Apostle Paul has some great thoughts on fruit here. Pardon me for a second. Galatians five nineteen through 23. <clears throat> Paul writes, it's obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, Cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied once, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community, and I could go on. Kind of sounds like your typical reality TV show, huh? This isn't the first time I warned you, you know. If you use your freedom this way, you will not inherit God's kingdom. But what happens when we live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. And this is where he describes the fruit. He said, things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity, We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, and able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. When you see somebody that has that in their life, that's someone to follow. That's someone to link your life up with. That's somebody, even even if you're looking for a spouse, you're looking for somebody to share, look for that kind of stuff. That's wisdom, folks. You won't be sad. Good looks are going to fade away. Money may not always be there. You got no idea the things that you're going to face. But if somebody has some good fruit in their life, That's worth more than all that other stuff. Let us not be people who are continually manipulated by Republicans and Democrats, by preachers, by our bosses. Let us be people who are continually awakened to the Spirit in our own lives and continually paying attention to God. Let us be people who can discern between what is fake and what is the real deal. Why don't you stand up?
Jesus, we are so grateful for these teachings that you gave us. Or we're living in a time where people are addicted to outrage and protest. We're living in a time where it's hard to tell truth from fiction anywhere. Lord, we're living in a time where we can so easily be tossed back and forth. God, we pray for eyes open, for hearts open to your spirit, to your life. God, that we would be people who don't just know stuff, but that we have wisdom from your spirit. Lord, that we would be people who, because we are paying attention to you because our hearts are open to your spirit that we would bear fruit. Lord, not the fruit of our own willpower, but something that you can only do, that we would experience transformation, that we would be people of love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, just the way you are, Jesus. God, our world needs it badly, but we need it badly. Lord, let us be people who can remove these planks out of our eyes so that we can see clearly to offer hope and healing to this world. Lord, let this church, this little church right in downtown Covington, let us be a place where people come not to consume products, Lord, but a community of broken people who are being made whole and being transformed by you. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. And Lord, help the saints. Help them have a better game than last week. They got a little cocky. All right, God bless y'all. See you next week.